So today is our third class, and we are going to talk about the Barditchever Rav and the Alter Rebbe of Alatania. And we're going to draw some comparisons. And I'd like to just do a quick review. The first class, we spoke about the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov, we said, was a special soul that was rewarded to come into the world exclusively for the assistance of others. We said that in the time of the Baal Shem Tov, the Jewish people were in a faint because of terrible decrees and terrible uh, pogroms that had been happening and they needed someone to revive them. And when somebody is in a coma, sometimes a way to bring them out of the coma is to whisper their name in their ear. And that's why the Baal Shem Tov's name is Israel, Israel, because it's the name of the Jewish people. So he came to wake up the Jewish people, to revive the Jewish people, to bring them back, to, to iron out um, the separations and the difficulties and the schisms within the Jewish people that were, uh, that were so common in his day. And the Baal Shem Tov invested his whole life into bringing Jews back to Hashem, into bringing joy back into Judaism, and into showing that the very simple people are tremendously beloved by Hashem. And um, he taught very, very deep secrets of mysticism, but he taught his disciples that the, so the tune of the simple people singing praises to Hashem in Tehillim was sounding in heaven like more beautiful than the song of the angels. That was the Baal Shem Tov. The second class, we spoke about the, the Holy Brothers, Rebbe Limelech Melizinsk and his brother, Reb Zusha of Anipoli. And um, they were disciples of the Mezrit Shermagid, who was a disciple of the Baal Shem Tov. And they devoted their lives to travel from town to town, helping Jews do teshuva in a very, very subtle way by talking to themselves and saying out loud that they had done the things that they hadn't done, that the person in the presence had done. And they wanted to help the person do tshuva. And so they would say that they had done those things and that they were confessing and repenting. Um, but really it was the things that the person present had done. And th that way they work together as partners, the two holy brothers. And today we're bringing you the Mesritcher, I'm sorry, the Mesritcher Magis, another Mesritcher Magis disciple, and that is Rabbi Levi Itzchok of Barditchev. Rabbi Levi Itzchok of Barditchev was a tremendous genius in Torah from the time he was very, very young. He was, he was very, very great in his learning of Torah, both Halacha and Kabbalah and Hasidus. And he, at a young age, he came to the message of Maggit and became his disciple. Now, the Barditchever, he so he's called the Barditchever because at some point in his life, he became the Rav, the rabbi of the city of Barditchev. And it was very difficult in that place because so many of the Jews were assimilating at a great speed. So it was a huge challenge to be the rabbi in Barditchev. 
even people used to make fun of him, even in the theater in the city, there was, there was a whole show set up just making fun of him. So his life was very, very difficult in Bradichev. So a story is told about a man who lived in a different town. He was a Jew, but he was very, very assimilated and he loved, 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 loved the theater. So somebody said to him one day, if you love the theater so much and you are Jewish, you can't miss this show. In the city of Radichev, <clears throat> there is a theater and they have a show <clears throat> that just to make fun of the rabbi. The rabbi there is really odd. He prays in a very, very unusual way. He becomes so enraptured in his prayers that he jumps and he rolls on the floor and he's, he screams in the middle of the prayers. It's like really, really unusual. And so they have made this show in, in the theater, just mimicking him. So he says, oh, that sounds like fun. I shall, I shall travel to Bradichev and watch. And so our protagonist travels to Bardichev and gets to Bardichev and goes to the, he was wealthy, he goes to the best hotel in town. And they ask him, oh, you're visiting, what are you doing here? He meets some people and they start talking. And he says, yeah, I've come to go to the theater. I heard that there is this amazing show that's very, very humorous. And it's just mimicking the rabbi of your town. So somebody says, oh, really? Is that why you came? Well, why go to the theater when you can watch the real thing? And it's even better. Um, it's Friday today. Tonight, it will be Shabbos. It will be Friday night. And the rabbi will be putting on his very own show. He's going to be doing his own prayers and his own singing. And you will see what strange things it does in his prayers. So the man says, actually, that sounds better than the theater. I should go see the real thing. So he does. Now, this man had grown up Jewish in a regular Jewish home from those days with everything, uh, Shabbos, candles, and Kiddush, and everything. But he had left it all and was living a completely assimilated life for many, many, many years. But he comes into the shul, and he sits in the back of the shul, and he's ready to watch the show. And Rabbi Levi Yitzchok of Berdichev, an extremely, extremely holy person, comes in and starts to sing the Friday night tunes, Lechadodi and all this, the healing that, that we say Friday night. And, and this man is sitting in the back and he's suddenly hit very, very deeply in his soul. He says, I remember those tunes from when I was a child. And the way the rabbi is singing them is very, very powerful and extremely touching. And he starts to cry and cry and cry. And he stays through the entire thing, far from mocking the rabbi, he's now completely transformed. He regrets everything he's done for the past 50 years. And he so much wants to be Jewish again, but what to do, he's left it all. So everybody, uh, everything is finished and everybody leaves. And he's sitting still in the back. He can't move. He can't go back to his hotel room. He's just sitting there. So the shamash, that's the, the attendant in the shul, comes and needs to close up the place and needs to lock the door. So he comes over and he says, excuse me, sir, I don't know you. You're not from here. Um, how can I help you? I see that you haven't left. Do you have a place to go to? So the man tells him his stories as I came because they told me about your rabbi. And then I was so deeply touched and 
I can't move now. Um, I would like to come back to Judaism, but I can't. It's been so many years and I've done so many wrong things. So the assistant in the shul um, takes him to Rabbi Libe, it's and the man starts to cry and cry and cry and pour out his soul. And the Baditchev tells him, listen, I tell you what to do. You, after Shabbos, you can go back home and close all your business and come back here and I will help you. And you will come back to Torah and you come back to me. And the man says, no, Rebbe, you don't understand. If I go back home, I won't be able to come back here. I will fall back into my lifestyle, my assimilated lifestyle. I won't be able to come back here. So the Baditchev says, yes, you will go back home and you will come back here. You sell all your business. Half of your money you will give to charity. The other half of your money you will live. You will live on it. You will support yourself with the other half of your of your money, so that you can learn Torah and come back to Torah and mitzvahs and completely become become a complete complete Balshuva. So you we see from this story the power of the presence of the Bardichever that just by listening to his Friday night tunes, a person's life was completely, completely transformed. The, there are two aspects of the Bardichever Rav that I would like to, to touch on tonight. Of course, in all of our life, there is our relationship with God, with Hashem, and our relationship with others. So I would like to just show what his relationship with Hashem was like, a tiny, tiny bit of a window into his feeling for Hashem, and then a little bit about his relationship with others before we head for the other uh, Rebbe that I wanted to talk about tonight, which is the Alter Rebbe or Balatanya. So as we mentioned, the Bardichever was a disciple of the Mezritcher Magid, who was a disciple of the Baal Shem Tov. So Rabbi Levi Yitzchok of Bardichev, the Bardichever, was a spiritual grandson of the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov had also a regular grandson who's Reboruch of Mezhibush, who was a Rebbe in his own right in the city of Mezhibush. And their way of serving Hashem was parlorly opposite. It was two completely different ways of serving Hashem. The Bardichever, he was extremely enthusiastic and emotional and expressive, and he would burst into song and he would jump. When he made Kiddush, he would become so excited that his hand would shake so much and he would jump so much that there was no wine left in the cup. So by the time he got to the end of Kiddush and he had to say the last bracha, they had to keep on refilling his cup all the time because all the wine would pour out. So it was extremely emotional and expressive. Reb Baruch of Mezhibush, who was the Boshem uh, grandson, was extremely the opposite. He was very, very civilized, very calm, and he would serve Hashem with deep feeling as well and with great knowledge of Torah, but in a very, very calm way. Well, the Bardichever really, really wanted to go and visit Rev Baruch, the Baal Shem Tov's grandson, and watch how he serves Hashem, how he spends Shabbos and everything he does. But there was a problem. Rev Baruch didn't really want him to come because he was so wild. 
in the service of Hashem. And he said, no, you're going to, if he's going to come to my house and he's going to make Kiddush and the wine will pour, will, will splash and all the guests and everybody's going to get splashed with wine and it's going to, you know, I, I can't have him in my house. His behavior is like really outlandish. I can't have him here. So the Barditchever was really, really begging through messages from the, from Reb Baruch that he should allow him to come for Shabbos. Finally, Reb Baruch said, okay, I'll tell you what, you can come to my house. You're very, very welcome to come, but you need to behave. You need to be very civil and very calm. So the Bardichev said, agreed, but the only way that I can be so much in control of myself and not lose my cool and not become excited and start spilling wine is if I don't do any of the kiddush, I'm just going to listen to your kiddush and answer amen, and then I can control myself. Once I start making kiddush, I just get too excited and the wine starts splattering all over the place. So I'll, I'll say amen to your kiddush, not make my own kiddush. Deal, deal, very good. So the Barditcher agrees that he's going to be civil and calm. Rebaruch agrees that he's going to make kiddush for him as well. And we have peace. The great day comes and the Barditchever comes to Rebaruch's house. They go to shul together and then they come back for the dinner. And the whole time the Barditchever prepared himself mentally. He meditated. Tonight I will become, tonight I will not explode in my enthusiastic service of Hashem. I will serve Hashem tonight in a very cool and collected way so that I can observe how Rebaruch serves Hashem. Very good. So everybody's a little bit nervous because they want to know what's going to actually happen because they know the reputation of the Bodhichever, but they know that he, you know, he said it's going to be good. So they come, they sit around the table and Rebaruch makes Kiddush in his very calm and collected, peaceful way. And the Bardichever, Rav Levi Itzkok, is standing there quietly thinking and controlling himself, working every second and controlling himself and being calm. And he answers, Amen, and very good. Ah, it's passed. It's over. The, the first scary part of the meal is, is done with. Now we go wash. Everybody washes. Their hands come back to the table. Rev Baruch makes the bracha and the challah. Everybody answers, Amen. Everybody gets a piece of challah. Rev, uh, Rev Levitzkok is only answering Amen and eating his challah, and so far, so good. Then the fish will be served. Now that should be an easy thing. Now it used you you all know about the gefilte fish Jewish Ashkenazi Jews eat, and in those days there was a tradition to eat two types of fish. According to some opinions, there was the sweet recipe and the sour recipe. And there were different opinions about, like Jews having everything, differences of opinions. Some people said you eat the sweet first and then the sour, and some people said you eat the sour fish first and then the sweet. So there was a chosid who wanted to assist in the Rebbe's house, in the Roboros house, and he volunteered to be the waiter so that he could be in the rabbi's house. So this chosid brings from the kitchen a big tray of fish. And in this tray of fish, there is the two types of fish in the same tray. And he would come around the table, go to every guest and ask each guest, which type do you prefer? But actually he was speaking Yiddish. Now, if you know Hebrew, you know that if you ask somebody, which type do you like? You will say, which means which one do you love? So in Hebrew, if you're asking somebody, which one do you like best? You are going to be saying, 
איזה, אתה, איזה דג או whatever אתה אוהב, which means which one do you love. And in Yiddish it's the same way. So when you ask somebody which one do you prefer or which one do you like, you are actually saying which one do you love. So this, this, this chosid um, of the Rebbe comes with a big tray of fish, comes over to each person, and of course the guest is going to be served first. So he serves the Rebbe and then he comes to Reb Levi Itzkok of Berdichev with his big tray full of fish. And he says to him, which one do you, in Yiddish of course, which one do you love? The Berdichev were froze. He heard the word love and he froze. And then he said, love, love, I don't love fish, I love Hashem. And he went like this with his hands, down went, or rather up went the tray with all the fish, all the pieces of fish flew all over that dining room and landed on all the people around the table. And a big fat and oily piece of fish landed on Rev Baruch, the Rebbe. And everybody went, ah! Rev Baruch used to eat Friday night with his talis on. And this big oily piece of fish fell right smack onto the talis of the Rebbe, Reb Baruch, and everybody's. And you know what Reb Baruch did? After Shabbos, when people in the family wanted to wash his talis, he said, no, I will never wash my talis because this big splatter stain of fish on my talis is a stain that happened because a tzaddik loves Hashem so much that he couldn't be bear to hear the thought of somebody saying, which fish do you love? And he said, I don't love fish, I love Hashem. He just burst, he couldn't hold it. So he says, my talis will never be washed. And that was a very, very holy talis that was never washed because of that special fish stain that was on it. And that talis was passed to his, to the next Rebbe and the next Rebbe for generations. At first that talis was used only on Shabbos. Then it, the next generation, the talis was used only on Yom Tev. The next generation Rebbe only wore it on Yom Kippur. And then um, when it came, to a few years before the Holocaust, the last Rebbe who had that talis asked to be buried in it. And we understand that he knew that the Holocaust was coming and everything would be destroyed. And he took that talis with him into the next world. So this story is a little window into the tremendous love that Rebbe Levi Yitzchuk of Bardichev had for Hashem, that even on a night when he had put all of his energy and he had assured everybody that he was going to be composed and control himself and behave like a good boy, when he heard the question, which fish, which type of fish do you love? He just couldn't, he lost it. And he screamed, I don't love fish, I love Hashem. And there went all the fish. Now that was his relationship with Hashem. It was the most passionate, loving relationship that a human can have with his creator. What about his relationship with humans? Well, the Bardichever is famous as the Jewish people's lawyer. 
the Jewish people's advocate, the Sanegor, the defense angel of the Jewish people. And he would spend his entire life defending the Jewish people. As we mentioned that in his time, there were many people who were assimilating and going to, to, the, to the government universities instead of going to yeshiva. And as they did, they became completely assimilated. There wasn't an option to go in those days to go to university and remain an observant Jew. So the Bartichever had this huge challenge and he devoted himself to constantly speaking positively about the Jewish people. And he would go to the greatest extremes. So his mind frame was, my mission in life is to bring out the good, to focus on the good and only on the good and mention only the good. Now you probably remember that the Baal Shem Tov had taught his disciples um, that they should go from town to town and when they come to a city, they should stay and observe the Jewish people in that city and meditate on the good they found in each one. So his, his uh, spiritual grandson, the Bartichever, was focusing and bringing out only the good, shining a light only on the good. And so for instance, one time, everybody was davening, everybody was praying, and they saw through the window of the shul, there was a Jew with his talis on and his tefillin on. And you know, when your tefillin are on, that you're supposed to be focused on the tefillin. And you're not supposed to distract your mind into doing other things. You have to leave other things for after prayers. When the tefillin are on is a very special time, and you need to be focused on the tefillin. Well, this unfortunate man was wearing his talis and his tefillin, and he was a wagon driver, and he was greasing the wheels of his wagon while saying the Shema with the talis and the tefillin on. And everybody who was in the shul observed him and was horrified. This is, this is terrible. How could this man be desecrating his tefillin and his talis and saying the Shema and saying Shema while he's greasing the wheels of his of his wagon. The Bardichever looked at him, took a moment to observe, and then he turned his eyes to heaven and said, Master of the universe, how great are your children, the Jewish people? Even when they are greasing the wheels of their wagon, they are still praising you and saying your words and saying the Shema. So he completely turned it on its head. And on another occasion, um, he saw a Jew who was smoking on Shabbat and he went over to him and he said to him, uh, my dear Jew, surely you forgot that it's Shabbos today. And the Jew said, no, 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 I remember very well that it's Shabbos. So he says, surely you must have forgotten or you don't know that it is forbidden to smoke on Shabbos. And the Jew replied, no, Rebbe, I know very well that it is Shabbos and that I am not supposed to be smoking on Shabbos. So the Bardichever had nothing else to say. What could he say? He turned his eyes to heaven and he said, master of the universe, how precious are your children? They are unable to say a lie. Um, and the afternoon before Pesach, the Bardichever went on a very extravagant adventure. 
he went to different Jewish homes, knocked on the door, went over to different Jewish people in the community and said, excuse me, do you happen to have any silk from Turkey? And they said, Rebbe, what are you talking about? You know, it's illegal and the government is checking on us and Rebbe, I do, I do. It's hiding in my basement. If you don't tell anybody, I'll give you some. And the rabbi said, well, actually, I, I don't really need any right now, but it's good to know where I can get it if I need. And then he went to another Jewish man and he asked him if they had some other type of smuggled goods. Now, the Russian government was very, very strict with smuggled goods and the punishment was terrible for somebody found in possession of smuggled goods. And yet, the Bardichever went over to several people and asked for different types of smuggled illegal goods. And he found several people who owned them and were ready to sell them to him. Then he went to another person, another Jew, and he said, excuse me, can you give me a piece of bread? And the Jew is, Rebbe, it's almost Pesach. I have no bread anywhere. I burned it all this morning. You, you, you would know that you're the Rebbe. So you sure you don't have any bread, not even a little piece to give me? No, Rebbe, absolutely. Can you find some? I'm sorry, Rebbe, there's no way for me to find bread right now. Pesach is starting very soon. Okay, thank you, thank you very much. Then he went to another Jewish man and he said, excuse me, would you happen to have a rogelach, which is a kind of Jewish style cookie? And the man said, what did you say, Rebbe? I want a rogelach. It's, you know, this kind of, you know, wrapped up cookie. Um, the man says, but Rebbe, it's at a Pesach. I don't have any Rogelach whatsoever. Can you find some for me? Maybe somebody smuggled some, maybe somebody hid some. No, Rebbe, as much as I would like to help you very much, there's no way that I could find. And so he went over from house to house asking who would have some, some comets, some bread or some cookies. And he couldn't find in the entire city, one Jew in possession of one crumb of comets. So before starting his Pesach Seder that night, the Bardichever, Rabbi Levi Yitzchok of Bardichev, turned his eyes to heaven one more time and said, Master of the universe, look how precious your people is. The Russian government has put all sorts of guards and all sorts of inspectors and police and created the scariest punishment established the scariest punishments for people found in possession of stolen goods, sorry, of smuggled goods. And yet I was able to find quite a few people in possession of it. And you, you have not put any policemen, you have not put any guards, you have not put any border inspectors. And we could not find one crumb of hummets tonight before the start of Pesach. Look how precious your people are. And so the Bardichever devoted his life to bringing out the beauty of the Jewish people, the good of the Jewish people, and always showing the best. So now, Hasidim tell um, um, a parable that relates to the different Hasidic masters and their style of dealing with the Jewish people. And this is the parable. Once upon a time, there was a king. That's how all the parables start, right? And the king wanted very much to have the best artist 
paint his portrait. Problem was, the king had a few, let's say, flaws. The king had a very hunched back. The king was blind in one eye and the king had one leg shorter than the other. So now he offered a reward for the artists who would come out with the best painting, but the artists were facing a big dilemma. How do you portray the king to make the king look good and remain faithful to the king's image? So they had to work, they had to deal with this, they had to work with this. So three of the best artists in the country came up with their paintings. And on the day when they opened the exhibit to the public, there was a very, very big celebration and all the noblemen and noble ladies were invited to the King's Palace to see these amazing works of art. Of course, these big paintings were completely covered with a, a large cloth and they were going to be unveiled each one by the artist that had, that had painted it in front of the king, the king was going to choose the best one. So the first artist come and uncovers his amazing portrait. And of course it was beautiful, it was stunning. Everybody goes, oh, wow. The king looks at it, he looks magnificent. The problem is he's not hunched, his legs are the same length and his eyes look good. So the king says, well, it is a beautiful portrait and the art is magnificent, but it's actually not me. So let's see the second one. The second one, the artist uncovers his painting and there is the king and he looks amazing, but it's sort of like a profile. The king is looking sideways. So, since the king is looking sideways, you can't tell much about his eyes. Um, the, the king in the, his portrait is like three quarters side, so you don't see his, the, the painting is hiding the hunchback, is hiding the difference of the leg, and is hiding, and, and it has the king looking sideways, so you don't see the second eye. So the king says, well, that is a very nice painting indeed. But again, it's not really me. Now comes the third one. The final portrait is going to be unveiled. The artist pulls off the cloth and again, everybody goes, wow. And the king can't stop staring at the painting. It's different from the first and the second. The third artist portrayed the king riding a horse. So as the king is riding on the horse, he is leaning forward so that he sort of, you can sort of tell that his back is hunched, but it's becoming because it's the way that people ride a horse. And since he, and the, the portrait, it's showing his shorter leg, but because he's on a horse, you only see that leg. And the portrait is showing the man's blind eye, but because he is riding his horse in the sunshine, it's squinting. So it is a blind eye, but the eye is squinting and the squint doesn't look as a fault because he's in the sunshine. So the, the king says, that is my favorite portrait. It's beautiful, it looks fine, and it's actually looking like me.
So that is a parable. And who were the three artists and what is the image of the king? The three artists are great Hasidic masters who portrayed the Jewish people in a specific way. The first one is the Baal Shem Tov. So as we said, the first artist gave us an image. The first artist gave us an image of the king, but it's not the real image, it's perfect. The Baal Shem Tov looked only at the good in the Jewish people. If there was any negativity, and of course there was, of course there was negativity and there were flaws and there were problems and so on, the Baal Shem Tov chose not to look at that, to only look at the good. As we learned that the Baal Shem Tov would tell the other hidden tzaddikim to go to all the different cities and focus on the good, on each person. So the negativity was ignored, the flaws were ignored, and the focus was exclusively on the good. And that was beautiful, but it wasn't so exact a reality as reality actually was. The second one, it looks, it looks more like the king, but it's only one side of the king. So this is the view. The first one was the Baal Shem Tov. The second one is the Bardichever. So the Bardichever is choosing to focus on the good and bring out the good and make what in Kabbalah and Hasidus is called a bearer. A bearer is when you take the good and you separate it from the bad. When you don't ignore the bad, but you just bring out the good. And as you're bringing out the good, you make it shine. So that, that is what the Bardichever did. He, as, the, as this painter portrayed um, a profile of the king, a side view of the king. So it's not a complete view, but he only showed the good side. So the Bardichever only showed the good side of the Jewish people and pulled the good out of the bad. Who is the third artist, you might be wondering? And what is the meaning of his work? The third artist is the Alter Rebbe of Baal Hatanya. What did he do? This artist took the flaws and brought out the qualities in the flaws. He portrayed the king riding a horse, and therefore he, you could see that he's hunchback but his handbag will look natural in a galloping position. You could see that his leg is shorter, but it looked okay because his leg was bent as he was galloping on the horse. You could see that his eyes almost closed, but it's okay, he's squinting in the sun. So what is the meaning of this with the Alter Rebbe? The Alter Rebbe teaches us in Tanya that there are different ways of serving Hashem. There is a tzaddik, there is a benoni, there is a rasha. And as beautiful and perfect as the tzaddik is, is a perfect person who has conquered all of his evil inclination and is only serving Hashem. But there is another kind of person who serves Hashem in a different way. There is a pasuk, there is a verse in the prophet Malachi 
chapter 3, verse 18, that says, You will go, return, and you will see the difference between a tzaddik or a perfectly good person and a rasha, which is a wicked person, and between someone who serves God and someone who does not serve him. And at first look, at first appearance, you will think that there is the tzaddik and the rasha, that's the good and the bad, the one who serves God and the one who doesn't serve God. And you think, yeah, the good guy is the one who serves God and the bad guy is the one who doesn't serve God. The altar, the altar Rebbe of Baalatanya gives us a completely new view of these words. And he says, a tzaddik is someone who is already there. He or she worked for many years on self-improvement and changing the personality traits that are not positive and working on themselves to only serve Hashem and only desiring to serve Hashem and only doing what is good, only saying what is good and only thinking what is good. And after years of hard work, this person arrived at the point of being a tzaddik, somebody who is perfect in the divine service and does no bad, only good. So this person is already there. The Russia is the person who is not doing much good, is, doing, is, do, is still doing not good. But what about the second part of this verse that says, and the difference between the one who serves God and the one who doesn't? The author Rabbi says that there is an intermediate person called a Benoni. If you have learned Tanya, you are familiar with the word Benoni. The meaning of the word Benoni as a regular translation would be the intermediate, the in-between person. The Alter Rebbe says, what is a Benoni? A Benoni is somebody who's not yet a tzaddik, but is definitely not a Russia. In order not to be a Russia, not to be a wicked person, you, and in order to be considered a Benoni, you never do wrong, you never speak bad, and you never think about doing bad. Or, a, or about a bad thing. So a Benoni is somebody who doesn't do, speak, or even think bad. And what is the meaning of not even think? We all have negative thoughts that pop up in our brains all the time. The difference with the Benoni is that the Benoni chooses not to host the thought. So the thought is like someone who comes to your door and knocks and you have the option of opening or not opening. So the Benoni is the person that when the bad thought comes, where there is a thought of doing a bad thing, speaking badly about another person and so on, the Benoni is the one who doesn't open the door, who says, I know you, you're a bad thought. You're making me think negatively about my sister-in-law. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to change my thoughts right now and think about something else or think good about this person if, 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 if that, possible to work out. So the Benoni is constantly working on and not doing the negative, not hosting the negative thought. But we had those two categories. The person who serves God and the person who doesn't serve him. So who's the person who doesn't serve? This is a person, says the Alter Rebbe, who is by nature who is by nature a cooler person, who does not have a very powerful animal soul, whose animal soul is not constantly asking him to do wrong. 
And therefore, this person is not constantly working to overcome the animalistic impulses of chasing after the physical pleasures of the, of the, of the physical world. So this is a person who is not doing anything wrong, but is not called somebody who's serving God, who's working for serving God because it comes easy. He doesn't have a war. He doesn't have a battle to fight. So what about the majority of people, people who are plagued by negative thoughts, people who have done so much, so many mistakes, people who had said the wrong thing, oops, so many times, even though I'm trying to, and sometimes the words slip out of my mouth and I wish I hadn't said that. So the Alter Rebbe is the third artist, the one who took all the flaws and makes them look like qualities. And how does that happen? The Alter Rebbe shows us that no matter what we have done, we can turn it around. And by doing shuva, by saying, oh, I used to do that, but I don't anymore. And fighting that constant battle and choosing at every moment to do the good thing, to say the right thing and to think the right thing, that we are transforming everything we have done in the past. And everything that used to be darkness is now light. And that is the person that is serving Hashem with that constant struggle. There is another, uh, another postdoc in the Torah. In the story, it's a familiar story. I'm sure everybody knows it. It's the story of when the second one of the forefathers um, asks his son, um, that he's old and he doesn't know when he's going to die and he wants to bless him. So this is Yitzchak or Isaac talking to his son Esau or Esau and telling him, um, prepare for me delicious food, delicacies like I like and bring it to me and I will eat it and I will bless you. You see Esau needed, he wasn't a good guy. He needed a special merit to receive the blessings from his father. So his father says to him, go, you're a good hunter, go and hunt an animal, kill it properly, properly according to Jewish law, cook it for me and prepare for me delicacies the way I love. Now, if your memory is still with you, you remember that at the beginning of today, we mentioned about a tzaddik who said, I don't love fish, I love Hashem. So how, if the Bardichev said, I don't love fish, I love Hashem, how is one of our fathers, Yitzchak, who was undoubtedly a very, very great tzaddik, as the sages tell us that the fathers are the chariot that carries the divine, are the chariot that carries the divine will. They had no will of their own, only to serve Hashem. So how could he be saying, prepare for me delicacies the way I love? Doesn't make sense to me that he loved food. What is he talking about? So comes the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, and explains these delicacies, which the word is said in plural, implying two different kinds of foods, is referring to two kinds of divine service, two different ways to serve Hashem. When you eat food, you can eat food that is salty and spicy, or that is sweet and creamy. 
And if you are a gourmet, you will want both, of course. If you are hungry and you have an appetite, you don't want ice cream for dinner. You want maybe meat and potatoes or soup and salad or fish or something usually salty. And then afterwards for dessert, or maybe sometime in the afternoon, you have a sweet craving and then you can have ice cream or cake or cookies or all of the sweet stuff. Well, this is reflecting the two delicacies that we, the people, serve Hashem as these treats. And these treats are the service of the tzaddikim and the service of the Baalit Shuvah. And the Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, of whom we are talking about right now, the author of the Tanya, he explained that while the service of the tzaddikim is so beautiful and desirable and gives Hashem so much joy and pleasure, it's like dessert. You can't live on dessert alone. And Hashem wants very much to have this, but Hashem also wants the pickles and the salad and the and the steak, the things that we call the meat and potatoes of our dinner. So this is the service of the Ba'alei Teshuvah, of the people who used to not do what Hashem wanted, but they changed themselves and now they are doing what Hashem wants. And their service of Hashem is delicious. And Hashem wants both, not just the work of the tzaddikim, but very much so the work of the ballet teshuva, the people who turn around and are working towards changing themselves. And we give Hashem tremendous, tremendous pleasure with this kind of service. So these are the two kinds of delicacies that are mentioned in the Pasuk, in the verse that Yitzchak says, hunt and cook and bring me delicacies the way I love. This refers to the different kinds of services of Hashem that Hashem loves. And the Alter Rebbe worked very, very hard with his book of Tanya to show us that if you are thinking, but who am I? You know, I had this thought and I said the other thing and I did the other mistake and, uh, and you're feeling down about yourself. No, not at all. On the contrary, this is one of Hashem's greatest pleasures to see the way you serve him with your struggle. So what Hashem wants and enjoys is your struggle. When you see that you have negative impulses, but you control yourself and you fight that battle and you overcome it, then you are giving Hashem the greatest, greatest joy and pleasure and satisfaction because you have become a Baal Teshuvah, you have done Teshuvah. And there is a story to illustrate this kind of Baal Teshuvah. And I've heard the story told about the Alter Rebbe of Baal Atania, and I've heard the same story being told about his grandson, the Tzemach Tzedek, but it's more likely that it happened with the Baal Atania, the Alter Rebbe himself. And the story goes that in the city of Vilna, where he was for a while, there was a man known as Yosel the Sinner. Yosel, of course, is the Jewish name. And this Yosel was always, always up to no good. People used to say 
if there is a sin happening in the city, it's being done by Yosel. And if Yosel is doing something, it's got to be a sin, because that's all he does all day long. Well, then Yosel likes to drink, and he likes to get drunk, and he likes to gamble, and he likes to fight, and he likes all the things that, you know, sort of not supposed to do. One day, Yosel was walking down the street late at night, and he heard happy singing. He said, ooh, happy singing. Somebody's celebrating. There must be drinks there. There must be alcohol. I must join them. So he follows the sound. And lo and behold, he ends up in a shul. And the Hasidim are having a Hasidic gathering. And they're celebrating. And they are speaking words of Torah, encouraging each other, telling stories of the Rebbe. And yes, there is alcohol on the table because you're making lechaim, right? So he also comes in and sees the drinks and pours himself a drink. And he's enjoying the singing and the stories and pours himself another drink. But when everybody saw Yosel, they got very nervous because they knew that Yosel is up to no good. And if Yosel is doing something is 90% of the time, it's a sin. And if somebody's doing a sin in the city, it's Yosel. And they're very uncomfortable having him around that their Hasidic gathering that they are doing for spiritual elevation doesn't match with Yosel. What are we going to do now? Well, at the end of the Forbrengen, Yosel says, hey guys, I had a good time. Do you do this often? Can I join you next time? And the Hasidim said, well, um, um, yeah, well, yeah, sure, yeah, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. Okay, have a good night, Yosel. Nobody answered him. The next time the Hasidim are having another Hasidic gathering, the same thing happens again. And the Hasidim are getting concerned that their children and teenagers will be receiving negative influence from Yosel. And that, you know, it might give them a bad reputation as Hasidim because they're associating with Yosel and Yosel is coming to their gatherings and they're going very uncomfortable. So they say, who's going to talk to him? Who's going to talk to him? Finally, a couple of guys are appointed. You need to talk to Yosel tonight. At the end of the Hasidic gathering or for Brengen, you need to tell him he can't come here anymore. So with much fear in their hearts, they approach Yosel at the end of that for Brengen and they say, Yosel, you know, you're such a cool guy and we like you so much and, we, and, and we're happy to see you and everything, but you know, you know, our lifestyle and your lifestyle, you know, and then our children are here and our teenagers and, and you know, we know you do certain things. And so uh, we actually, we like to, to um, that we were thinking that maybe Yosel grew red and his eyes were injected and his eyes were bulging out of their sockets. And he says, I know, I know what you want to tell me. I'm not welcome here, right? You don't want me to come again. Is that it? I know. Well, he picked up the table and threw it over. And he kicked a bench and he went flying. And he said, I'm leaving, but this is not the end. You will hear from me again. And he left and slammed the door and the building shook. And the Hasidim were shaking like leaves in the wind. And they did take a deep breath after he left. And they were very relieved, but scared at the same time. And true to his word, 
Yosel. That was not the last they heard of him, but he didn't come back to the Fabrengen. What did they hear from Yosel? The Hasidim got a letter from the Rebbe. And the Rebbe explained that Yosel had contacted him and sent him a letter. And Yosel sent a letter to the Rebbe saying, Rebbe, every day, all day and all night, my evil inclination is burning like a baker's oven. And the voice in my brain doesn't stop saying, sin, Yosel, sin. Do it, Yosel, do it again. Let's go, Yosel, sin. The boy drives me crazy. I can't stop, it's obsessive. I have no peace, Rebbe. The only time this fire, this baker's oven cools down, the only time I have peace and my, the voice in my brain stops saying sin, 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 is when I sit with the Hasidim at the Forbrengen and I hear their Hasidic tunes and their Hasidic stories and the stories about the Rebbe's, that is the only time that I have peace. And the Rebbe ended the letter to the Hasidim by saying, when you serve Hashem with long meditations and hours of davening, hours of prayer, and your beautiful forbringings where you encourage each other to constantly rise higher and higher spiritually and improve. That gives Hashem great nachas, great satisfaction. But when Yosul is sitting for a half an hour and he's not sinning, that creates a storm in heaven greater than all of your divine service. And Yosul is asking, and this they want to take away from me? So the Rebbe ended his letter asking the Hasidim to actually let Yosul in. And it takes someone like the Alto Rebbe, the Balatanya, to bring out something that we usually oblivious to. And it's a saying of the sages, Yasha Beira, if a person just sat and did no sin, it's considered like he did a mitzvah and he's rewarded for it. Sometimes we are tempted to do something, speak badly of, about another person, do something wrong, even think a bad thought. But sometimes we say, no, but I'm not going to. And we don't give ourselves enough credit for the, I didn't do it. If we write a nice big check to a good charity, if we give a nice big check to tzedakah, we feel good. I did a big mitzvah. Look, I gave all this all this money to tzedakah, that was great. If we get up early on Shabbos morning and learn some chasidus and go to shul and daven for a long time with the minyan and seeing everything with joy, we say, oh, good job. You know, you, that, that was a good davening you did. And we give ourselves credit. We don't give ourselves enough credit for the times we didn't do. The, thing that we wanted to do, but was not the best thing to do. And that's something that the Alter Rebbe brought out, that when we didn't do, 
And when we did, and when we did shuva and stopped doing what we knew wasn't supposed to be happening anymore, that is a tremendous joy for Hashem. And that is the painting of the king where you see all the flaws of the king, but because the king is galloping on a horse, they look, they look good. So that is how the Alter Rebbe came and he saw the Jewish people with this vision of transformation from dark to light and all the flaws becoming qualities by that movement of teshuva. And that's why he had many, many balachuva. He brought many people from wrong to good. So the Alter Rebbe says, whenever you did some, whenever you did not do something wrong that you were tempted to do, celebrate, celebrate, congratulate yourself, make lechaim to yourself that you overcame the temptation and you actually won the battle. So the Alter Rebbe has this way of looking at us and at our life mission and at our accomplishments that it's very unique to himself. He's teaching us how to be a Benoni, how to be the person. Who, and he says that every single one of us has the ability to become a Benoni. Maybe not a tzaddik, but every single one of us, because the tzaddik is disgusted with evil. And not all of us are able to come to the point where a cheeseburger is disgusting to us or any other temptation is disgusting to us. That's a tzaddik. But all of us are able at every single moment to control and subdue our inclination to do only what Hashem wants in action, in speech, and in thought. So, do we have any questions? We would, would you like to do a meditation? Should we? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. So um, I will turn down my light and you can uh, and, and put our devices. If you haven't yet, put our devices on airplane mode. And we will do a, a meditation. Okay, guys, feet on the ground or on your couch, whatever you choose, hands on your lap, make sure you're sitting upright with your head aligned with your spine, deep breath. Focus all, okay, I need you to, to I need you to mute. Let me see if I can mute everybody. We're going to go on mute. Deep breath, deep into your belly. And another deep breath. Focus your mind completely on your breath. 
And as you exhale, you begin to relax. And with each breath, as you exhale, you relax a little more. You release some more tension. You see the light of Hashem coming down from above, from the letters of Hashem's holy name. This beautiful golden light is coming down and it's caressing the top of your head. It's moving downwards, filling your entire head with beautiful godly light. And as this happens, all the tension leaves your head and your face. And the light is moving down your neck and your shoulders and is filling you up with golden, warm, divine light. As this happens, you allow your neck and shoulders to relax. And this beautiful light is moving down your back, your chest, and your arms, down to your hands and fingers. Take another breath and you feel the light of Hashem filling you up. You see the light going down your hips and thighs, your knees, your legs and feet. And as it, do as it does, it's bringing you healing warmth, awareness of Hashem's unconditional and infinite love. Take one more deep breath. As you exhale, release all tension from your entire body through the soles of your feet and to the ground. We meditate on the different ways to see a fellow Jew. If we see another Jew as the Baal Shem Tov does, we see only God. Every Jew is a divine soul and it is only God. If we see another Jew as the Bardichever does, we know that some things are not perfect or we are going to brush them aside 
and focus only on the good. Like the Jew who was saying Shema, even as he was fixing the wheels of his wagon. And the Jew who was saying the truth and only the truth. That's how the Bardichava looks at every Jew. And then we meditate on the Alter Rebbe of Al Hatanya, who teaches us that even though there is negativity and some traits that need changing, those flaws can turn into beautiful qualities and we focus on ourselves and our fellow beings, turning all the flaws into qualities. We look at ourselves and others as the king on the horse, where every flaw has become a quality. Let's take a moment for each of us to think about something in ourselves that might not be yet perfect. And this moment is a good moment to meditate on how to transform it into a quality. Find something in yourself you know needs fixing and visualize it transformed into a new quality, into the opposite of what it used to be. See it as it's already happening. See it as a done deal. Visualize it in all its detail. Thank Hashem for helping you make it to this point. And thank Hashem for continuing to help us in the future. Thank Hashem for enjoying the blessing of our struggle. 
and give yourself a little credit for fighting the battle. At the count of four, we will be ready to come back, bringing with us a new treasure, knowing that the battle is so precious and knowing that we will certainly win. One, two, another breath. You may start moving your fingers and toes. Three. And you can open your eyes slowly and gently. And four, fully back, re-energized, reinvigorated, rejuvenated, and inspired to win the battle. I will turn on my light. Next week is our final session, and we will talk about a completely different Hasidic master because this one is our contemporary. Next week, we will talk about the Rebbe and his unique way of looking at the Jewish people and his unique service as a Hasidic master and how he has made every one of us into a Hasidic master. So, uh, God willing, we will talk about that next week. Until then, if you have any questions, comments, or complaints, you can email me at nomifree at gmail.com if you have any requests. And um, wishing you a great week. <laughs>